Skrillex. Oh. But <laughs> when he was Sonny Moore from From First to Last. Oh, man. That's Sadie. I had no idea that that was him. (laughs) I only knew him as Skrillex. Dude, I used to listen to him freshman year. I had this friend in high school who was obsessed with the band. Really? Because that that was what she introduced me to all this. Like, the music that I listen to is because of the stuff that she showed me. So it's extremely hilarious that this baby has the Sonny Moore haircut. It was kind of like when I started getting into like post rock and alternative and punk rock. Yeah. I listened to this band called Hey Monday and they were the best. They were like this. It was like they were basically next up as the new like Paramore. Mm-hmm. And then the band fell out oh, because the Yeah, it sucked because they were really on they were on MTV already. They were getting live shows and their live shows were doing really well. Some of them were recorded. And um, at one point, you know, the, I guess the, what the hell do you call them? The record label was like, we like the band, but we have a different direction that we want to go. So they bought out the contract for the musicians and they kept the singer. The singer didn't like it, what the record label wanted to do with her. And they were like, she was like, nah. So she left took whatever money she made from the band like her her you know her split and then she went on the voice and she won the whole thing as a country artist wow that's what's up cassidy pope cassidy pope no she one familiar. yeah she won the voice as a country artist with blake she's one of the six championships that he got but the crazy thing was nobody knew who she was they were like oh she's such a great country singer and I'm like, y'all don't even know who that is. <laughs> y'all don't know. Yeah. I was here first. <laughs> that was like one of the only times that I was able to be like, yeah, I was around. I love stuff like that. Like I'll always brag about the whole Holly thing. Like to to anybody who would listen, I'll say, yo, I remember when Holly, like I always said, if she goes to the UFC, she's going to beat Ronda Rousey. Yeah. And then that's what happened two years after I said it. And then a Facebook memory came up, <clears throat> excuse me, from like 2011 or some, or no, like five years ago. Yeah. It was, uh, it was right after Joanna beat uh, Carla. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I was in the car watching the highlights screaming, I told you she was a killer. I told you. And, uh, yeah, now we're you know this long into it now, and she's still a killer. Still on top, still fighting for belts, still almost there. Like crazy. I love that stuff when like you you see something like you're like that guy right there. Yeah, he's got it. He's got yeah. It's the crazy. It was like uh watching early tapes of GSP. Because a lot of people didn't really agree with me like when he started they were like yeah the fight with jay haran his first fight was good but who would have thought that he would have been a champion like the way he's winning fights it's like he's great because of the way he's winning it's not just wrestling the people to death no he's he's smart he's methodical there's nobody who can do what he does and i was one of the first people to say if he had fought anderson or if he had fought any champion at 185 he'd beat them because yeah. he's smarter than those guys. It it doesn't matter about size. Because people were like, what's he going to do against someone taller than him? Well, he fought Carlos Condit when Carlos Condit was the natural-born killer. 
And guess what? Carlos Condit gave him everything he had. Kicks, punches, elbows, knees. Fought off his back, elbows, and it just wasn't enough. GSP was always a step ahead of him. Even when he got hurt, he was always a step ahead of him. And when you see people like that, you know that they're special. But yeah. So this is a very special episode of <laughs> YBE MMA. What's going on, guys? Your boy Elroy here, and welcome back to the Your Boy Elroy MMA podcast. I'm your host, Josh Prepigina, and I am here with my good buddy, Andre Rodriguez. Andre, what's going on? What's up, Prep? Also, special co-host in the building. If you hear a a coup, if you hear a rattle or some random toy going off, that's because my daughter, Sadie Jade, is in the building. She's Yay! actually sitting in her playpen right next to me. You know, dad things. <laughs> Just dad and <laughs> uh, COVID-19 got me... Uh, Watching the baby while I record. No big deal. I love being a dad, so I don't mind. So, Andre, last week we got off the air, and maybe an hour later, uh, they said that, what was it? They were moving everything around. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as the uh, events upcoming for the UFC. Uh, The next day, Bellator did their weigh-ins, and then that Friday, they canceled the show, even after everybody weighed in. Yeah. Um, So that was a big cancel, but I do want to point out, good on Bellator for paying all the fighters and all the workers who are working the event, no matter what they paid them, like people were getting to specifics like, oh, I think they got their show and win money. Some people got a portion, you know, like like that doesn't matter. The fact that they even paid them yeah. anything, mm-hmm. even the workers, like that was great on them. Yeah, man. I, I mean, think that's going to steer more people towards, you know, thinking about going to Bellator. Yeah, and, and you know, like, it speaks a lot about Scott Coker's character because think about it. Like his legacy was a bit stained due to the strike force stuff and the elite XC stuff. But the stuff that he's trying to do aside from the weird Dublin and London shows that are constant and very like ridiculous, but he can put on one hell of a show. But the question was, how is he going to be as the president of Bellator when something so horrible happens like this? And he truly showed, you know, that he cares about the fighters. Even as they weighed in, he's like, you know what? I can't do this. I can't put these fighters at risk. And you know what? The fact that he paid everyone, it's really awesome for the sport, you know, because it's not just pedestrians that are dealing with this, you know. It's not just normal people. The, they're normal people too, but they're also combat athletes, and they're more at risk than anybody when they're going in there and putting it out on all on the line. You know, mm-hmm. they're touching each other, they're punching each other, they're grappling. I mean, it's not necessarily the safest thing when you have something like a virus, you know, spreading through, and it really does suck. You know, th- 
you know, how the dynamic of MMA has changed right now with empty arenas and stuff like that. But I can't wait till this blows over. And uh, I hope everyone's prepared to see Tony and Khabib in some weird rundown gym <laughs> somewhere <laughs> for yeah. the lightweight belt. So, yeah, let's continue off of that. Um, so after the whole thing with Bellator... The UFC Brasilia card goes on, which we will get to. Um, Dana White says that he's moving the London card. He's looking for a venue. Um, he ends up finding a venue we later heard. He, like, set up a whole contract, Indian reservation. Like, the fights will go on. That was the main thing, right? Then uh, something happened with Leon Edwards that he had to leave London by like it was like a four hour window where like yo you gotta leave London now. He says he's not. They're looking for another fighter. Uh Gilbert Burns always said he was ready. Yeah. Gilbert Burns always said he was ready. Kobe Covington threw his hat into the ring. Allegedly there was troubles making that fight. Uh then Woodley didn't want Gilbert at first. He wanted RDA but then RDA declined. And then Gilbert got the fight. But then when they said the whole thing about only no more than 10 people is when they yeah. put the kibosh on it. These should be rescheduled later in the year. I can only expect that these fights, all of them, will continue and just be spread on to other cards, you know, barring any more pandemic craziness. Yeah. So with all these cancellations, you know, the NBA, I know you're a basketball guy. Uh, NFL didn't start yet, but it should have. Yeah. MLB as well as uh, NHL, you know, for the hockey fans. Like, nothing is on. The UFC pushing through and wanting to push through. How did you feel about that? Because I know people are, like, on the fence, like, oh, they're putting him at danger. And then some other people are like, no, like, they're trying to, like, entertain people like wrestling right now is running empty arenas and it's yeah. like i'm <laughs> you guys will hear that for the next 45 minutes i promise and i'm not <laughs> and i'm not even upset about it but like wrestling like i like that they're it's entertaining like it kind of takes me out of that reality that's why i watch wrestling in the first place but like I, I'm slightly uncomfortable. Like, yes, I don't know what to believe about this COVID-19, but still, if, like, if I'm trying to watch myself, like, don't these people probably feel the same? Like, it's, like, kind of uncomfortable. Like, one case in any of those organizations and the whole thing shut down. Yeah. Aren't they better off just using prior, you know, like, like last week, they did um on WWE. They showed like the men's tag team elimination chamber on SmackDown, the best match from the Sunday before. Then on Raw on Monday, they showed the whole Royal Rumble match. Wow! Like it w it took up like an hour of time, mind you. It's a three hour show. But like, how do you feel? How did you feel watching UFC Brasilia? Like, did how do you feel about the no crowd? It was. It was eerie because, I don't know, It for me, it kind of felt like 
they were kind of fighting more against what was going on than themselves. You know, well, like each other, you know? And uh, it kind of, it, it, it felt weird for me. You know, like, how are these people supposed to get excited and, and want to truly perform when they have no one to perform for? And I guess, like, like we saw with Hinato Moicano, like, that really got to him. Now, granted, he was the first finish on that card. And, well, hey, that was an excellent finish. But, you know, you could just tell that, like, a lot of those fighters are like, hey, you know, it is what it is. I'm just here to do my job. Yeah, um, the Hanato thing, we're going to get into it. <laughs> oh, my God. The meme that – the edit that the UFC got from somebody <laughs> – where it's like Michael Bisman's like, make some noise. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Mick Maynard's like, woo! <laughs> Pulling his best Ric Flair impression. <laughs> so good. Mick Maynard's is the best, man. I have so much respect for that guy now. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> so are you bummed out that, like, the fights are canceled this weekend and the next few weekends? Or, like, they're in a tough spot. Like, I appreciate the effort, but, like, I don't – oh, well. You know what I mean? Like, did you just shrug your shoulders when you heard it? No, because at this point, like, this is this is my thing. Like, and I'm going to be honest. This might be a little off topic. But I started to get worried because um, there is a guitar player for a band that I really like named Crown the Empire. And he had tested positive, And that scared me because I'm like... Yeah, well, he did. He 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 ended up posting about it, and then um, one of the actors from the Game of Thrones series also tested positive, and then I was like, uh oh. <laughs> but then I'm like, you know what? Like, the the news about what was going on with them was positive. They were like, hey, like, I tested positive, but I'm okay. Like, I showed symptoms. I got sick, I had a fever, but after three days, I'm okay now. So I'm just like, if we can just let this blow over, where all the cases in the U.S. kind of like die down, then I'm pretty sure we should be okay, and then we can go back to fighting. So I just prefer it for them to take the safe precautionary route than push cards because, you know, you, it's not every day where you're going to get like a Gilbert Burns. And a Hinato Moicano that are just gonna be excited to fight, you know. So, yeah, I'm bummed, but we we can move forward from this, and eventually, even if Leon doesn't get that fight with with T Wood, I'm sure he'll get a title fight after something, or maybe he'll fight Colby, which is Colby's probably his worst nightmare <laughs> because I feel like Leon will probably mop the floor with him. Leon Scott, listen, man, I saw the best meme about Kobe this this week on Twitter. It was like the stages of a Colby fan, and it's like hates him, thinks he's kind of funny, thinks he's the best thing in the world. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hates him again. Yeah. <laughs> you know what is even crazy, like thinking about the idea that at one point I kind of liked him. And I am like looking back now like, what the hell was wrong with me? There's I, nothing to like about this I guy. I already told you. I, I think that everybody would like him if he didn't do the Trump stuff. Yeah. Um that's my only gripe with him. I think he's a very good fighter. Yeah. And he sells the fights. Like yeah. like if it wasn't doing the whole Trump shtick, 
I think he was great, but I just think he's good. <laughs> yeah, because, and I agree with you because it even aside from the Trump stuff, like when he came out of nowhere and was like, "Who wants to see me whoop Tyron Woodley this Saturday?" and and I'm just like, "Hmm." <laughs> I mean, he doesn't have a fight lined up. I'm sure he's in shape, and it seems like, you know, maybe he uh. Maybe he's serious about fighting T-Wood now, even if it's not for a belt. And it'll be five rounds. I mean, I'm like, even though I don't like him, that's kind of the perfect fight that needs to happen right now, aside from the Edwards fight. And then T-Wood was like, he don't want no smoke. He was just playing. And I'm like, damn, that sucks. And nobody, I don't think he was playing. I think that there was a legitimate chance that he could fight. But I, I do think that they were off on money because... It's like that's the one thing I agree with T Wood where he's like he does think very much of himself. And, you know, I would understand it if he was selling the fight for months, but you're not gonna sell a lot of people on a fight in three days, you know what I mean? No not only that, expect like what, half a mil, maybe a mil just to show up. Like it's kinda hard to do that because you lost your your last fight and it was one of the biggest fights in welterweight history. Yeah. And you got finished. Like, but it was a great fight. It was an excellent. fight. It was fight. a great fight. And I and this is my thing. Like, aside from all the the antics and and the Trump stuff, Colby is kind of in a place right now where he can make anywhere between a quarter of a million to half a million for a main event because of the performance he put on. I mean, look, I'm not I'm not gonna lie to you here. I mean, if it wasn't for that fifth round and the way it went we could have possibly seen Colby as the new welterweight champ, you know? But with that being said, when this blows over, it's going to be exciting to see where the welterweight division is, you know? And, uh, yeah, I hope this blows over so we can see Usman and Masvidal, man. <laughs> and then Leon and freaking T-Wood, maybe Colby and, and Gilbert. I mean, those are some heavy fights, man. Yeah, I, I think... Like I said, we're going to get into it, but I think I'm interested in any fight with Gilbert now. I still want to see Sean Brady versus Gilbert, but yeah. it's it's clear, you know, he's he's extremely high-ranked now. He's, yeah. he's about number six or seven. Yeah. And it's like, for Sean Brady to want that fight, it's like a tough ask. Not even that. Like, I don't think Gilbert would take it because even if he would take it number six versus unranked, a dangerous unranked at that, and when you think about it, Sean really hasn't been able to, to fight the guys that he wants to fight. Like, the fight with Oliveira is a great call-out, but I want to see him fighting dangerous fighters. I want him fighting Vicente. I want him fighting Magni. I want him fighting, you know, um, Li Jiang Lian. Like, those are the fights he needs to call out for. He those need- are fights that he needs. Like, people with yeah. fights under their belt, like, extremely... Yeah. Um, experienced guys. Yeah, and he needs to fight guys that are going to pose an issue for him, you know, because that's the only way people are going to be, like, taking him seriously. Because if he just starts fighting, I'm not going to say cans because that's disrespectful, but if he starts fighting guys that aren't ranked and their records are only good because they fought outside of the UFC, no one's going to take him seriously. And that might do something because there's one thing to have cage time, but it's another thing to fight high-level opponents, 
like it's different in there. And for what I've seen, like there's a lot of fighters that benefit from fighting high level opponents, even if they're not necessarily ready. Mm-hmm. For example, like like Greg Hardy, he fought Volkov, and he did okay. Wow. <laughs> the and, baby is. I'm holding her. She's grabbing onto the edge of the playpen, <laughs> and like I just let her hang. Like I'm still holding her. But, like, she's trying to climb into it now. Super strong. Super strong. Yeah, but, you know, like, if Sean gets a fight like that, where he's fighting a guy who's legit, I can only imagine how well he'll perform. But if they don't they don't give him fights like that, you know, he's going to end up three or four more fights and then having to wait. And I think Sean might be ready within a year or two. So, you know, I'm I'm excited to see what happens. But let's move on from the welterweight division. Because there's a lot going on. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk about some stuff outside of the UFC. Um, a name that I know only because I've listened to Joe Rogan for years is John Wayne Parr. And it's crazy because he was just talking on the fight companion about John Wayne Parr and how he was like, his he's all jacked up. But he ends up signing with one championship. So... This is obviously a like a legend signing. What did you think? Like, do you think this is a good move? Is it too Bellator of them, or it's like no? Like, if you if you can have access to John Wayne Parr, you sign him. No, not even that. Like, it's not even just the access. Like, as old as he is, he's still competing at a high level with a lot of tough guys. Like, and um, the good thing about John Wayne Parr is that. He's been knocked down viciously in fights, and he's won. And if he's lost, like, he's shown extreme composure and extreme bravery, and I think that's why they signed him. Because right now in Muay Thai, with them doing four-ounce gloves, you know, John Wayne Parr has a lot of experience doing that, fighting in the MMA cages already. So he's a great fit, but I will be honest with you. Don't expect to see him in some type of Grand Grand Prix or a tournament because, you know, it's like Joe said, like his body just is not ready for that. He's just not there anymore. Yeah, but if you're talking about legend fights, and he's fought mostly all of the Fair Texas, uh, all of the City Otongs. I'm pretty sure he fought Nongo before. I know he fought Yodson Klai. He fought a lot of the best guys. And, like, in their prime primes. Like, they look good now. Because they're seasoned, they got four-ounce gloves, so they're letting their hands go. But back when it was different, when it was real full multi rules, where John was kind of at a disadvantage, like, he he fought those guys, and, you know, he'd won some of them. So it'll be exciting. And and the the legend signing is actually a a perfect, you know, um, example of what they're doing. And I love it, man. Like, they just keep bringing, bringing good people on. And, uh... I'm I'm excited to see what happens because wherever he's going to fight, whoever he's going to fight, he's going to put on an excellent show. So I can't wait. Yeah. Another company who's trying to boast their roster is the PFL. And uh, they ended up signing Tom Lawler yeah. to uh, fight for their light heavyweight. Okay. Uh, I guess million dollar tournament. That's cool. So that's good for him, you know. It's it's just like uh, Brendan Schaub said on this week's Below the Belt, like he just got screwed by USADA, and yeah. never you know got his due. 
ended up doing some pro wrestling, ended up being pretty successful in it, and now he gets to back to do what he loves. Yeah, man. I love when uh I love when you see fighters like find a bit of success out you know elsewhere. Mm-hmm. But you know what I mean Tom Lawler not for nothing. He was a pretty decent fighter in his time in the UFC. So if he's able to perform at a high level in PFL, he could get far. And listen man, those million dollars you ain't getting that nowhere else. No, not at all. Yeah, so I mean if you got the chance you do it. Yeah, you take it. Look man, look at look at Brandon Laughlin. I loved what he said. He was like, my message to all the featherweights is I'm coming for all of you. And I'm going to get that money. And I'm going to get that world title. (laughs) And none of you are going to stop me. Mm -hmm. And guess what? The chills that I got and the hairs that stood up on my back was like, damn, this might be the season where I watch PFL. (laughs) Because I'm excited. Like, I'm always starving for MMA content. And since it's on Thursday, it's like perfect. Yeah. If... Like, especially if you get a day where you're like, oh, I overslept. Maybe I missed church. <laughs> like, oh, PFL's on? Perfect. All right. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm I'm just happy to see more people go over there, more names that I know. Because a lot of these guys, you know, they're second, you know, no offense. No, no. Like, second or third tier fighters in the UFC. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, the UFC is tough because sometimes you got guys floating around that are undefeated and they get pushed, they get knocked out, or they get edged out. And then that could really screw their psyche up as far as who they see themselves as. And then you got journeymen who come in and they find that thing and they just go on that run five, six fights in a row because they're they're fighting people. (laughs) <laughs> you just got head butted that they're fighting people that are on this their same level and then they're evolving you know like you just never know but with PFL it's different because a lot of times you can recycle the same fights because of the same tournament st- you know a uh, format so you know I feel like Tom Lawler will do well I know Brendan Lawflame's going to dominate everybody like I just don't see how anyone else beats him he's just so good and Rory the same thing you know the only guy I think he has to worry about at this current moment is probably Ray Cooper the third. But uh even Ray, like I just don't know. If he got knocked out by John Howard, I mean I can only imagine what a game and dangerous Rory McDonald's gonna do, you know? <laughs> yeah. So speaking of free agency, June sixth will be the last fight on Michael Chandler's exclusive Bellator contract. Now We've had our talks about Michael Chandler. Yeah. A lot. Like, we've covered Michael Chandler extensively. We've we've talked to him, you know, on personal basis here and there. Yeah. So, Andre, now that it's a reality that he will be testing free agency, what are your thoughts? Does he – does Bellator just – you think Bellator is just going to make him an offer he can't refuse? Does the UFC see enough in him to put money into him? Or does he get bit by the million dollar bug? Or does he go overseas? <laughs> you know what? I feel bad for not even saying that. But okay. yes, it's true. His his biggest rivals over there, mm-hmm. like some of the some of the fights of the year he's had with Eddie Alvarez. Yeah. And there's money to be made in Asia as well. And not only that, man, I mean, listen, if he gets the opportunity to not cut weight 
fight for the welterweight, you know, division over there. And on top of that, like, a trilogy fight with Eddie Alvarez, can you really say no to that? I mean, but but even then, like, let's get down, let, let's really get down to, I guess you can say the nitty-gritty, right? Mm-hmm. So, a couple years ago, I'm I'm pretty sure you remember, there was a guy named Justin Gaethje who made his UFC debut. And uh, he started off a little rocky, and then he ended up winning the fight. And long story short, he went on to have a storied career in the UFC and is now pushing for a title fight that he most definitely deserves. I see Michael Chandler's UFC debut going different. The way I see his debut going is him completely dominating whoever they put in front of him. And if Michael Chandler can get to the UFC, I feel like he's going to do real well and be right in the mix. Here's my problem, though. A lot of the top five in the lightweight division have kind of been recycled. Like, they fought each other already, so they have their place. And a lot of these lightweights are just fighting up-and-comers because they're not getting their title shot or they already fought for the belt and they lost. So, where does that leave a guy like Michael Chandler? I don't know. Because right now, what's his fight in the UFC? The only fight that makes sense to me at this current moment, if he was to sign a contract right after, is probably Paul Felder. Or Al Iaquinta. It's a dangerous fight for both of those guys. Michael Chandler is not only an incredibly strong and skilled wrestler, but he's got power in both hands. He's a very skilled kickboxer, and he's got solid jiu-jitsu and great cardio and uh, a will to win that I have not seen in a long time outside of the UFC. I mean, the guy just knows what he wants, and he trains every day like a complete animal. But it's not going to be easy to like sign a contract to fight a guy like that because there's a lot at stake for someone like Paul Felder or Ally Quinta. If you lose to him, he takes your spot, and that's it. You I'm going to save this for you, okay? Here we go. You know who Michael Chandler's first fight in the UFC is? Who? Donald Cowboy Cerrone. Ooh. It makes sense. It's a veteran. Chandler's a veteran. Donald's still highly ranked. Yeah, true. And uh, Donald is that guy that no matter who, no matter what, no matter when, he'll fight you. Hey, he fought Eddie for his debut. Yep. So I could see Donald taking that fight. I like that fight too. I didn't really like what they were saying as far as him fighting Diego. or I'm like, what? Like, Cowboy is not there. He is not there. Yes, he has a two-fight losing skid right now, but he lost to Tony. And he did well the first round. And losing to Gaethje, like, it's hard to it's hard to prepare for Gaethje. And they were friends. But on yeah. top of that, like, Gaethje's style changed. Like, <laughs> would I like to see a clash between, between Gaethje and Chandler? That would be freaking crazy because of the pace both of them are going to put on. But... If I had to put my money on anything, if I really had to put my money on anything, 
I would rather put my money on a seven-figure contract with one championship because I feel like he'll excel more going up and down between weights because Chandler can do it. He was very successful at welterweight, and he was successful at lightweight. There's a lot more at stake there as far as the other guys because of how dangerous Michael Chandler is, and I feel like he'll get far. Like, think about it. Him versus Foliang versus Shinya Aoki, Eddie Alvarez versus Daggy, Christian Lee. Like, those are good fights. There's a lot of high-level competition there. I don't think he should re-sign with Bellator because who's he going to face? He beat everybody, you know? And at the end of the day, if he signs with PFL, he's just going to end up being in the mix with a bunch of people that he probably already fought before, like Will Brooks. So I just, I don't know. Even Marcin Held, like, I'm pretty sure he fought him before as well. So I really feel like a new step for him is to get that seven-figure contract with one and sign with them and experience the world, you know? Like, yeah. he fought in Japan recently. He said he loved the experience. He won. And it. I think it would just be a great, you know, trajectory to end his career on, you know? Winning another championship in another major organization. I mean, that's awesome. Yeah, I I love Michael Chandler. And wherever he goes, I'm going to follow. Yeah. So that's, for me, the thing. Um, it's crazy because yesterday I was looking at Michael Chandler uh, – autograph eight by tens if you guys ever seen on the instagram like if i show my face behind me is a wall full of autograph wrestling posters and then i have a bunch of uh bless you baby god bless you salute i have a wall full of uh mma stuff not autographed yet but uh mma signatures on instagram great account great store and very inexpensive for what what you're getting uh they they have a contract with michael chandler and he has eight by tens there i'm definitely gonna order one this week um there's a funny situation going on there with them and uh ricky bandejas he did them dirty how he was supposed to send his gear he was supposed to uh they were his main sponsor sent them all the money he didn't even wear the the stuff to the cage like he was supposed to uh, but That's I don't ridiculous. know enough about that to like comment on it. But that was I read the messages and I was like, hmm. But allegedly, Ricky screwed him over because he was kind of screwing his management over, and he was trying to save his butt. Like, oh no, I was on your side all the time, you know. That's crazy. Um, Andre, there was. A UFC this past weekend. It's the last UFC for probably a month. Um, UFC fight night, Kevin Lee versus Charles Oliveira. Now, UFC was fortunate enough that there is nothing on TV, and they got a spot on ESPN. Being the only sport on ESPN, Andre, don't you think they would get millions of views? Yeah, I would have thought so. They didn't. They had just over half a million. Um, to me... It's not a bad thing because it's not something that was promoted on the network, but still it kind of sucks. Like you would think like people just like channel surfing would stop and watch it. And that's not what happened. But let's get into the card because 
there were some firefights, especially the last three, which we're going to cover because it was a lot of decisions on this card. I mean, Brendan Moreno beat Juicier Formiga. That should put him in, like, title contention. Yeah. If you agree. Yeah, I do. And then what was another good fight? Um, dude, it was rough. Like, there was a Ronnie Yaya versus Enrique Barzola draw. Uh, decision, decision, decision. Oh, Veronica Macedo versus Bay Malecki. Second, uh, the first fight of the night. Extremely interesting. That girl Macedo comes to fight, dude. She was just like throwing bombs. She couldn't take the big girl down, but. I mean, she tried her best. She she got a little gas from throwing all those shots, but I remember Macedo for having one of the most devastating head kick knockouts in the history of MMA. Like it was it was crazy. Like there have been memes that have been made from the sound of her shin cracking on the, this poor girl's jaw at an outside promotion, but damn, like this chick is skilled. I mean, she's got all the makings of a great striker. And um, even though she was a bit smaller, well, not a bit, but very smaller than than Maleki, I mean, she showed a lot of promise. And yeah, I walked away during the second round um, and then came back towards the end of the third, and I was like, damn, she's still throwing. So in my head, I'm like, oh, she had to have won this fight. And then she, unanimous decision, unanimous decision loss. Still very young in her career. So I wouldn't, you know, sneeze at it, but very interested to see more of her, as well as women's straw wipe out Amanda Rebaz versus Randa Marcos. Amanda Rebaz whooped on Randa Marcos. Yeah, and if she needed a ticket to show that she was top ten, that was it. There it goes, right there. She she beat a a veteran. Yeah, if I can say veteran, she's ten and eight and one. So for women's straw weight, she's a veteran, and she put a whooping on her. She like shut her out ten eights all three rounds. I think one of them. I think the the what was the score? It was like a two ten eights in a row. I was like, holy crap! Yeah, it was a uh, thirty twenty five. I think. Yeah, was, like crazy. But you know that's not even the crazy part. The crazy part was like if you look at who Randa ha- has beaten, like. That goes to show you the level that Amanda Hebos is on right now. Yeah, she's a beast. I'm so looking. F- I mean, her last fight when she whooped up on Mackenzie Dern, I was bummed because I was looking forward to that comeback story. Like Mackenzie Dern just had a baby. Yeah. She's she's a phenom in jujitsu. I'm like, oh, she's gonna come back and crush it, and then she just got whooped on for like three rounds. But Amanda Rebos really showed out and showed that she's she's top ten material. Yeah, and when when I match her up against a lot of the top ten girls there, I see her winning most of those matchups. It's not just her top game and the ground and pound. It's just that she once she knows that she hurt you with the first shot, she doesn't stop. She keeps going. She's trying to put damage on them. And the funny thing is that as she puts damage on them, you see her post-fight interview, she's like, oh. Just so happy to be here. Uh, she's so such a sweet. great fighter, and I'm like, yo, what? So sweet. I was. So, it was a great fight to watch. So then we move on to the main card. Very entertaining. Francisco Trinaldo versus John McDessie. The old man took that. 
Johnny Walker versus Nikita Krylov. Now, I was bummed. I was like, damn, he lost again. Like, come on, man. But then I saw Michael Bisping post on his Instagram, and it says, respect to Johnny. It's a picture of him and Johnny Walker. It says, respect to Johnny Walker. He lost a very hard-fought fight tonight, but you wouldn't have guessed it from his attitude. I bumped into him in the elevator, and he was just focusing on the fact that he went three rounds with a great fighter, something he's never done, and how beneficial that would be to his career. That's the way to handle it. Accept the loss. Learn from it. Come back better. You have my respect, brother. Looking forward to your next fight. And that shows me that Johnny Walker has a very long career ahead of him in the UFC. Yeah, and not only that, like... I I respect, like, where he's at mentally, right? Because a lot of people, and granted, I totally respect how someone would feel, but after losing to a bum like Corey Anderson, (laughs) no, I'm just kidding, but after losing to a guy like Corey Anderson when he was on a surge and then coming back and, you know, losing again, like, you would have thought that he would probably would have really been, like, like Ronda Rousey almost, you know, like this kid was a monster, but we've seen that Johnny Walker has had some really tough outings in his career. Like somebody had posted a video of on, on Twitter of Johnny getting knocked out three times in a row in a fight. And it was horrible to watch, but if he can come back from that and get to the UFC, the sky is the limit. And I don't know, I'm pretty sure you saw me retweet that, but holy crap, that was horrible. But to be honest, even if you didn't write off, you know, Johnny Walker, I know John Jones did. I know a lot of people are, but I see a lot of potential in him. I think it's just more learning how to conserve his energy and trying to be more focused in his fights, you know? Like, it's not just the takedown defense. But trying to add more weapons to your arsenal that make you dangerous, that make other fighters, you know, have to think about what they're going to game plan, you know, against you. Because look at GSP. You couldn't try to box with him because his jab was always going to be more superior to everyone else. You could try to shoot on him, but if he didn't stuff you and you somehow got him down... He has a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and he's excellent off of his back. Not only with submissions, but with sweeps. So then he has all that completely nullifies everyone's game, and he wins every single time he steps in there, you know? But with Johnny, he has even more upside because he's six foot six. He's got an 82-inch reach. He's a big guy, he's fast, he's agile, he's extremely athletic, and he just kind of has to learn how to hone that all together and to make one solid fighter that can do everything well. And when he finds that thing, when he finds that coach, when he finds that camp, I feel like he's going to excel. And now, listen, maybe TriStar just wasn't the place for him, and that's okay. But now that I looked at this fight with Krylov, I feel like there is one place that he could go. Where? I feel like he can go to Evolve MMA. And then the head coach there is? 
there's a bunch of them. I mean, you have almost 50 different Muay Thai champions. Shinya Aoki is the head grap- one of the head grappling coaches there. They have a lot of, of wealth of knowledge and talent there that he can train with, man. And, and um, you know, like you have guys like DJ, Henry Cejudo trained there. Sage Northcutt is training there currently. I mean, the Angela Lee and Christian Lee are training there. But it's just the fact that there's so much knowledge there. I feel like it will take him some time to kind of grow there, and I feel like six to eight months before a, a, a possible return for him would be ideal. And to train at a place like that where he can be around world champions, people who have done it, people who have won at the highest level, that's what he needs to be around, you know? And no disrespect to Faraz because Faraz has won championships as well. But it was just GSP and Rory there, and, and for him to just have a quick turnaround and, and train there, it might not have been the best thing for him. But to train at a place like at Evolve where it's completely away from all the distractions and he can just go there and focus, like I feel like that would be really beneficial for his career. Now, I'm not saying that he can't be top 10 again soon. Because I feel like with one vicious knockout, he's right back in the mix, you know. And a string of them will put him right back into the top ten. So he just has to find that thing. And I feel like he'll make it. Yeah, so then we move on to the, well, Hanato Mokano's lightweight debut. How do you think he looked? I, I don't mean, think you could look any better than that. Yeah, he did well. <laughs> I don't even care about the performance. It was just the discussion the that they had after. memed fight it's like the one with mcmaynard was pretty funny (laughs) but then like the actual conversation they had i wanted to fight more then you shouldn't have submitted me like what this is odd very odd i just i was baffled by the talk that they had but it was like you kind of almost expected him to have that kind of performance because i'm gonna be honest with you i don't know who had to i don't know who that guy is I've never no, seen him fight before. They had one highlight of him, and he knocked out, like, the person that he fought before this guy. Yeah, and it's like, how would you put Hanato up against him? You know what I mean? Oh. It's okay. But, <laughs> but you know, like, with Hanato, like, do I see him doing well at lightweight after this? No. <laughs> I don't see it. Even if he fought a guy like Benil Dariush, I feel like Benil would probably sleep him with one shot. But not, even going further, like, I'm sorry. He's, like, on top seven in the world at featherweight, buddy, not I, at lightweight. I can't believe that he called out Paul Felder. That fight makes no sense. Not even that. Are you serious? If you fight Paul Felder and you think you're going to take his back that fast, guess again, bucko. Paul Felder's striking defense, his grappling defense, his takedown defense is world class. This guy is world class. And Hanato is just not anymore. Listen. It's one thing when you haven't had a chance to truly prove how good you are. It's another thing to have multiple chances and fall short every single time. And let's look back. First opportunity that Hinato Moicano had was against Brian Ortega. He had his opportunity to be in the top three, to go for a title shot against Max Holloway. He failed. He got submitted. His next opportunity... He goes against Jose Aldo in Brazil in the one place that could have definitely got him a fight against Max Holloway. He got knocked out in the first round. Then he gets his last opportunity against Chan Sung Jung, 
where he had an opportunity to get into the top five and still be in the mix. And to beat a guy like Chan Sung Jung, that would have been monumental for his career. Gets knocked out in the first round. I mean, really, dude. I, I'm sorry. It's just like, I, I don't know if he got knocked out or choked out, but either way, you have to think of the idea that if you couldn't do it at 145 with guys that are relatively smaller than lightweights, what do you think you're going to do against Paul Felder, who is a knockout artist? A guy who hits people and most of them just don't get up. And it's probably too big for what? Lightweight. <laughs> yeah, because let's 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 face the facts. How many people were able to truly fight against Mike Perry and do well without being viciously damaged in the fight? Paul Felder fought him for three rounds and almost won. That's all I got to say. And that was at 170. Hanato Moicano is way out of his league, man. Yeah, I'm sorry. Daddy duty. So, moving on to the co-main event. Welterweight bout between Damian Maya and Gilbert Burns. Damian Maya gets slept in the first round by Gilbert Burns. Now, it was very clear. We knew going into this fight that Gilbert had the stand-up advantage. But I thought that Gilbert was going to be able to give him a little bit of trouble on the ground. Guess what? He didn't. Damian Maya still got it. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? I give Gilbert credit. He showed a lot of skill when he got his back taken because the first thing that you learn in jiu-jitsu is to survive. And as you keep going on and the competition gets stiffer, you realize that people just find ways to do things differently. And they find, you know, certain techniques that work for them that they know they can always go to when they're getting close to finishing someone. And Damian Maya is an expert. And, and I say that at the highest regard. Damian Maya is an expert at taking the back. He's, he is the best at taking someone's back and finishing them. But Gilbert did the smartest thing ever. He did not allow Damian to get the hooks in. And he escaped because of that. And when he did, he was able to get back to the feet and finish him. And that goes to show you that if he can get by Damian Maya's grappling, he has a very high chance to fight for a title soon. Yeah. And I'm sorry. I didn't know he was that big. I thought he was like 5'8 at welterweight. But he's not. He's like 5'10. And he's got long arms for somebody of his size from what I've seen. Like him and Sean Brady are about the same size. But he was shredded, man. He did not look like that when he fought Gunnar Nelson. No. And now that he's his body is finally getting used to 170, he's a dangerous guy, man. Yeah, how – I don't know if you saw it, but how great was his, like, post-fight speech. Yo. When he, like, cursed all in Brazilian – or in, I'm so sorry. In Portuguese. Portuguese. It's okay. <laughs> and then went on to be like – yeah, Kobe, you talk all this smack about Brasilia. Come over here. I'm going to kick your butt. <laughs> so good. He's like, you lucky we on ESPN. That was fantastic. It was a perfect call out. This guy, he's a real fighter, and I really respect that about him. Like, this guy is the real deal, man. And it's not for nothing, you know. Like, it's not like he just beat a nobody. Like, Damian Maya is one of the best in the world. He's had multiple title shots. And he's fought the best of the best in two different divisions. So for Gilbert to do that to him, like, it's incredible to see where his career has gone. I mean, before, he was undefeated in the UFC like four or five years ago. And a lot of people really did, 
they just didn't know who he was. Like he was in the UFC game, and if you saw his ratings, you'd be like, "Why is he? How was he undefeated?" But then you saw him fight and at lightweight, finishing guys, knocking guys out, submitting them. And now that he's in welterweight, like you can see, he has that thing at welterweight. He's gonna be dangerous for guys like Usman, Masvidal. Like he's gonna be a serious problem for them, you know? Yeah, he's a big dude, and he he wasn't a problem for Damian Maya on the ground. But what's not to say he's a problem for everybody else? Damian Maya is just that damn good. Yeah, man. And, and when you're thinking of like a grappling match, right? You look at all the guys at welterweight, and nobody's gonna be able to do anything to him. Like once he takes your back, that's the fight. Gilbert got lucky that he got out, mm-hmm. and he was smart to like, all right, he sat on the left side to make sure that one hook was completely nullified. He knew, all right, as long as I have the leg pinned, I'm okay. And he, and he made sure that the other leg wasn't fully sunken in, and he just swam out of it and got out. He was smart. Don't engage with a guy like Damian Maia on the ground. Like, we've seen a lot of the best fighters in the world go there with him, and they just they can't do it. He's just It's not even that he's powerful. It's that he understands, like, positioning. And he understands, like, all right, well, if he goes here, all I got to do is turn here. And he's so graceful, but it's it's just... It's like he's like a samurai with that sword. And he's like the old school samurai. That you can have all the fast power and speed, but once he gets you in the right position, and all he has to do is swing it once and you're dead. But, you know, let's see what happens with Gilbert. It was a great performance. Yeah, and and it's like you said, I hope he does get that fight with yeah. Woodley eventually. Yeah. Then the main event, Kevin Lee versus Charles Oliveira. Now, Kevin Lee missed weight again. Did that bother you? Yes. Am I wrong for being upset about that? Like, no, I was upset. He I've gave never, up. I've never cut weight, but like, listen, that's your job, dude. And especially at a time like, 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 like this, where the where the UFC is counting on you to do your damn job, do your damn job, make weight. You know what I'm saying? Like, it just it. it, it what got me mad wasn't even the fact that he he cut weight that he wasn't able to fully cut weight. What got me mad was that you could see on his face that he gave up. He gave up before the fight was happening. He didn't even want to be there. He was not excited to fight and he was just there because he had to be. And Charles Oliveira was the exact opposite. He was like, "Man, like this is my opportunity. Like this guy has the ranking that I want. I got to I got to beat him." And he went in there and he really put it on him. Yeah, now Kevin Lee I thought looked great, but Charles Oliveira, the attacks, like his constant movement, his striking, so patient and like dynamic at the same time, but like that movement on the submissions is crazy, like going from position to position. I love that. He had, he, listen, like, no disrespect to Kevin. He's a world class fighter, but. Kevin did what Kevin always does. He went to his normal tools. And he just wasn't fighting smart against Oliveira. Oliveira knew. People thought that that Kevin Lee had the striking advantage. No, I mean, he didn't. Like, Oliveira is a dynamic striker. But a lot of people didn't get to see that because at 145, he was just so big that if the fight went to the ground, like, he would just dominate. But... 
you know, one thing that I can say about Oliveira is the reason why he's dangerous is because he doesn't have to cut weight anymore. And I'm telling you, man, there is something that's different about a fighter when he doesn't have to cut weight and he has more energy and then has more power, more agility. Like, people think it's a joke, but you don't get slower as you cut weight most of the time. A lot of the times you just get more hydrated and you have more energy in your body to do better. And, you know, I feel like in this case, Oliveira is finally coming to his own. And the crazy thing about this is that almost almost 40 fights in the UFC and the man's only 30 years old. I mean, only 40, almost 40 fights in his whole career. But he's been fighting since, what, 2012 or something like that? I mean, this guy is going to be dangerous if he can get past, you know, a top seven or a top six in the lightweight division. And uh, we'll just see, man. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen, but it was an excellent performance. And that choke was so deep that he finished it from half guard. You yeah. know, that that was crazy. But, you know, I'll be the one to say this. Kevin Lee's antics after he clearly tapped were just ridiculous. And it was just a sign that he quit and he just didn't want to accept defeat. And I was really pissed off. Sadie got something to say. Yeah. This whole segment. Let us know, Sadie. Yeah, I know. You don't like Kevin Lee either. That don't bother me too. Oh, she's So my daughter is teething. She bites hard. Yeah. With all gums. But yeah, Andre. (laughs) This was great. It was an experiment to an extent having my daughter here next time i try to put her to sleep but you know she is only seven months and you can't just snap your fingers and babies go to sleep (laughs) so if you're bothered by this go away (laughs) i don't want you listening (laughs) um let's get into some questions because we do have a little bit of time left um with this whole thing going on ufc not having a lot to promote at the moment they're taking to instagram and ask uh putting up pictures with questions so i just have two and i want to see what you think about this one it says uh if you can introduce someone to mma what fight would you choose rory mcdonald versus robbie lawler too hands down great fight excellent what is it oh what is it about that fight is they had a pre- violence. It was it wasn't just the violence, but they had a previous fight before, and it was real close. And a lot of people were like, "Robbie Lawler edged Rory," but what would happen if they fought for five rounds? And then they did, and then people saw not only a fired up Rory, who is who he said like, "I'm willing to die in there. I'm gonna win this belt because it's my destiny. I'm going to destroy Robbie, however I have to." And Robbie said, I'm here to fight. I'm here to knock people out. And I don't care who you are. I don't care who you train with. Let's get it. And they went in there and they fought to the bitter end. Rory's face was destroyed. And he was still in there performing well. Robbie Lawler kept a pace that was just insane. He took punishment. He was hurt in the third and the fourth round. And he just showed a different side of him. An elite level Robbie Lawler that a lot of people didn't understand. And fifth round Lawler is where that was birthed from. Because that fifth round was insane. He took a highly skilled, intelligent mixed martial artist that was systematically breaking every other fighter down that he was fighting. 
and he was able to weather that storm and truly put on a performance that was his best performance ever. And that's why I like that fight. It was nonstop action. There was blood everywhere. At the end of the fourth round where they stared each other down, it was one of the craziest things I had ever seen. And when people look back at that, they're like, holy crap, these dudes, like, when you just see Rob, Robbie's face and Rory's face and just them looking at each other like, I'm not giving you an inch, sir. Like, I'm here to win. It, it just goes to show you, like, like, sometimes the UFC puts on great performances, and that was one of them. I would definitely show that to a, a new, like, MMA, you know, uh, fan. Yeah, mine's, it's it's definitely recency bias. Uh, Calvin Gaslam versus ah, Stylebender. Good fight, too. It's, it's just a great fight. Five rounds. It shows that fights that go to decision are not boring. Yeah. And it really birthed a star. Like, yes, I do think the fight after that was the more important fight for Stylebender's trajectory, but this fight was like that slow burn, and it just was perfect. It's what he needed for his career. 100%. It was fantastic, and I think that that fight will make anybody a fan. Yeah. And like I said, it's definitely recency bias, because any other day you'd probably ask me if that fight hasn't happened, it'd be something with Anderson Silva. Yeah. Um, but speaking of Anderson Silva, favorite upset? <sighs> I mean... Yeah, I got to go with, with Weidman versus Silva. I mean, that was one of the craziest things I'd ever seen. That's my choice as well. Uh, I was extremely sad for a long time because of that. Anderson Silva, my favorite fighter of all time. Yeah. Like, it's probably wrong that I picked this, but it's like, listen, it was like at the perfect time the division needed it. Yeah. And uh, the second fight, you know, that happening, you know, showed that the first fight wasn't a fluke. Yeah. So that was my favorite upset as well. Yeah. It was it was one of the best performances. That second fight was one of the best performances Weidman had. Even the first one, like he was he was just not willing to give in to Anderson Silva's like antics to get in his head and to win that way was nobody would have expected that. I would have expected a a submission by guillotine or something before that but damn like even in that second fight like who would have thought it would have ended that way but hey that's the best part about upsets man it changes the landscape of a division and then people have to scramble other fighters get excited because they're like there's a new champion i can beat this guy and people start campaigning you know like it changes everything in the game and i, and I love that yeah and to and if i had to not if i wasn't allowed to pick that since you picked it Nate Diaz versus Conor McGregor won. Oh, yeah. Because, yes, us as hardcores knew that Nate Diaz had all the tools in the world to beat him, but nobody was, like, running to say, oh, saying that Nate was going to beat him. Yeah, and if I had to choose another fight aside from those two, it would be Henry Cejudo versus DJ. Because although I feel like, you know, Cejudo had an advantage in the wrestling, I felt like he wasn't going to be able to put it all together, and he did just that, and he edged him out, and he won the flyweight belt. So that was crazy. <laughs> yeah, and then my last question, what's the fighter that got you into MMA? George St. Pierre. Yeah, mine's is Anderson Silva. Um, I don't think there's much explaining. Those are two legends, clearly like two of the probably the most popular picks when you if you ask somebody. Yeah, I mean – 
I pick George St. Pierre all the time because he paved the way for some of the best fighters who understood that being a jack of all trades and master of none is usually the key to being one of the greats in MMA. Yeah. Thank you, Andre, for indulging me in these questions. That has been this week's Your Boy Elroy. I am Josh Prep Egina. You can find me on all forms of social media at Elroy Preps in one word. You can find the show on social media at YBE MMA Podcast on Instagram. Do me a favor. If you go to our Instagram, click our link in the bio, you're going to see something that says Merch Store. That will take you to our Teespring store. Thank you so much for the people who have bought our merch. We've gotten, uh, we've gotten a very good response, and I'm very happy with the sales we had so far. I can't wait to receive my shirt. Jen's really excited to get hers. But anybody else who has bought one, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Andre? Yeah, everyone, you can find me on Instagram and, and Twitter under the name Flow State Dre. And you can also find me on Facebook as my regular name, Andre Rodriguez. And also, thank you all for the support that you've given the podcast and for buying our merch. We really appreciate it. And as we continue to grow, um, it's just exciting for us to see that people actually care about what we're doing. So thank you again for another episode. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, thanks, Sadie, for sitting in. You're a gem. <laughs> and I'm so excited <laughs> for you to be on more episodes. <laughs> That has been this week's Your Boy Elroy. Um, no fights this weekend, but if it's your birthday, happy birthday. See you next week. <laughs>